welcome back to Colombian Influence. We are so excited to have another interview for you today. Uh, we have Melissa from Adoptee Thoughts, and we just finished the interview with her and are mind blown and just so excited. And oh my gosh, I don't even know what else to say. I'm so excited. We're just <laughs> yes, we're just feeding off that energy we got from her. We love talking to other adoptees, and oh. she mentioned this in the episode. It just feels like such a great connection and a lot of things yeah. that we've been missing for a, a good chunk of our lives. It just feels Especially so good her. to. Like, Yes. Oh my gosh. It just feels so good to connect with um, others who kind of understand you. So that is amazing. She had such great insight on a lot of things. There's so many books I need to read, so many courses I need to take. I almost pulled it up while we were talking to be like, Erica, I ordered you this. <laughs> like, yes. Send it to your house. Our next next book club might be this this book. You never know. Yeah. It's been so amazing and not only is she an adoptee but she's an adoptee from columbia so shout out to our roots oh my god like erica said we are feeding off of that energy so we're without further ado i just want to get this started this has been the best so we're so excited to be supporting melissa and her cause with adoptee thoughts and uh here it is everyone we are back with another interview we have melissa here with us today thank you so much for joining us of course, I'm so glad to be here. Yes, it's been a long time coming. We've been trying to get this on our books, but so why don't you just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, uh, kind of about your adoption. How old were you when you were adopted? Where were you adopted from? Things like that. Yeah, so my name is Melissa Guida Richards. I am an adoptee. I was adopted from Bogota, Colombia at about five months old into a family in the United States, uh, a white immigrant family. My my dad was from Italy. My mom was from Portugal. So we definitely had like that multicultural thing growing up, <laughs> even though my story has been a little more complex uh, than the average uh, adoptee I have been told because I didn't find out until I was 19 that I was adopted. So it's it's been a wild ride. <laughs> As you can imagine, it's been about 10 years now uh, since the discovery and it went from being like the absolute worst thing that has ever happened to me, the most traumatic thing, um, to now like something that I use to inspire the work that I do. And kudos to you for turning that around because that I could not even imagine being adopted already, as we've said multiple times, has its own traumas, complexities, but to not know or find out so late when you're you're already going through you know teen years and things like that as a as a girl and just oh I can't even wrap my head around that um what orphanage were you in in Bogota I was in we were Fana. oh okay yeah we've heard of that we were both from a Udeme, so I was okay. just curious um okay so let's dive into that a little <laughs> bit deeper yeah we are can we like backtrack a little differently than we usually do instead of starting at the beginning start from when you found out and kind of work our way back like yeah that, yeah that do works. you want to start kind of with okay. like when you learned of your adoption and we'll yeah <laughs> yeah so, so 10 years ago I was in my sophomore year of college and I had chosen a college as far away as possible from home um my parents and I we even though there's a lot of love there was a lot of uh 
tension between us. And I was always like the stereotypical like black sheep. I didn't fit in. Um, I always knew something was up and I saw my parents' names and I didn't really know much about adoption except for what I saw in movies. And so I didn't know that they like changed the entire adoption uh, like your birth certificate so it reflect the names of your adopted parents so i had no idea so i was like oh let me google what birth certificates are supposed to look like oh that checks out cool <laughs> so in my mind i was like okay they tell me the truth even though people keep approaching me saying that i look latina and that um they would always come up to me speaking in spanish and so in the back of my head like i always wondered and but like my parents always had pictures of me growing up as like a baby and I didn't know like other parents had pictures of them like pregnant like that type of thing and so in college I was actually visiting home with my my boyfriend at the time now husband and I wanted to like kind of show off and show like oh look how cute look at old report cards of me and look at me being adorable <laughs> in kindergarten whatever so we were going through like a bunch of old paperwork and pictures and then my boyfriend, he looks at a piece of paper and he's like, you have to look at this. And I'm like, oh, cool, report card. So I go over and I'm looking at it. And then I see like the line, their adopted daughter, Melissa. And like that, that sentence has always been like just frozen in my mind since that moment. And I just remember like the pure shock that I felt. I literally just stood there for like several long minutes, not knowing what to do. I wasn't crying. I wasn't upset. I was just frozen because it just felt like I was living like in a movie. Like this doesn't happen to normal people. This is something that happens to superheroes or something like that. So uh, immediately I had a bunch of questions and we were the only people home uh, at that moment. And so I searched from top to bottom in my house for any more information. And I, I didn't find anything. Like everything well, looked on the up and up except for that. So I had to wait several long hours of pacing and just like the anger <laughs> was now trying to, to take hold. And I just couldn't believe that my parents had lied to me for so long. And for me, like I know some adoptees will say like, oh, you're not my real parents. For me, it wasn't that. For me, it was about the lie and hiding my identity. I grew up in a family that were immigrants that were really proud of their culture, really proud of where they came from. And the roots from like learning the language to the traditional customs, to the big family dinners on holidays. And like my my grandparents, my nono and nona on my dad's side, they don't even speak English, they speak Italian. <laughs> like, like that's how Italian and Portuguese they were, that they told us like to, you know, have that same pride growing up. So as soon as I found out, I was like, you didn't just lie to me about like not being my biological parents. You lied to me about who you raised me to be. Like every part of my essence was this perfect little Italian daughter that you wanted me to be, that I had felt that I had to live up to these standards to make you guys happy. And to me at that point, it felt like a massive betrayal because they didn't, it felt like they didn't love me for me. They only loved what they wanted their daughter to be. And so that that was just devastating and so when I addressed my my mom my mom came home first and I was like look like I know I'm adopted and I want to see my papers and it and even then she was still in like a sense of denial she's like no you're not you're my daughter you're my child like this doesn't matter how dare you for looking at like and finding that out and going in the office <laughs> like it, it, it immediately was like pointy fingers take the tension off me 
Um, and I, I know it was a lot of guilt. And at that time, like, it was just like heated emotions and we were going back and forth. So I knew like I needed a break. And so a winter break was almost done. So I ended up going back to my boyfriend's uh, dad's apartment in New York City. And I only lived like an hour and a half away. So it was just a train ride. So I was like, look, you need to drop me off here because I need to cool off. And right now, if we don't, if I don't get a chance to do that, I'm like never going to talk to you guys again, because this is just epic layer of betrayal and so I took about a year before I talked to my mom again I I would check in with my dad like every Monday because that was our thing I would call the family on Monday just to make sure that they know I'm alive everything's fine but um my dad's conversations went as uh, as far after he found out that I knew he was like Melissa what is going on I was like I know I'm adopted you're my dad and then he's like, okay, cool. See you later. <laughs> um, I knew it wasn't like my dad's because people will often ask like, why do you blame your mom? Why do you blame your mom? I'm like, it's not really about blame. It's just like about knowing my family and knowing my parents. And my dad was the type of guy who was just like this stereotypical Italian man who, where he saw his job was to provide for the family. So he worked very long hours. He wasn't really home. He didn't do like hands-on parenting like we do nowadays. And so for him, like he did all that he could and he didn't really understand interpersonal relationships. And I, as an adult, and like even as a child, like I'd always thought that it wasn't like he he loved me, but he just loved in a different way. So for him, like things like that, he didn't, it didn't even occur to him. And so when I talked to my mom, she she told me that, yeah, I'm the one who, who thought this would be the best plan of action and I told everybody in the family and your dad just went along with it because to him he was like when you asked I was gonna tell you okay that doesn't make sense but okay <laughs> and that's going on that I was like let that slide and I, I finally uh started opening up to my mom more when I became pregnant um it was in like 2015 2016 and that's when I started to really go through like a lot of the grief of thinking about my birth mother and the decision that mm -hmm. she made and then also because I had faced infertility too yes. all those hormones and things and just like thinking about if I didn't if I couldn't have a child that was biologically mine like how would I feel and then looking back at like my family and just what they were like I knew there was a lot of prejudice in my family and so my mom told me, yeah, I didn't want anyone else to treat you differently growing up. And I knew how they were. So knowing this, it like, I'm just like, why would you adopt a child into a home where, you know, there's prejudice and racism in the family? Um, but uh, unfortunately, it's not uncommon. There's so many transracial adoptees that I speak to who have white majority family members. And a lot of them will have to deal with racism within their own family. And that's something I learned after. And then I like when I was going through all this, I started joining groups online because what could you do? I didn't know at that up until that point, I had never really talked to someone who was adopted. And so I found comfort in like an adoptees from Columbia group on Facebook. And that was like my first introduction to like the adoptee um, community online. And it just kind of spiraled from there where I started digging in and doing a bunch of research and learning about how adoption is often like whitewashed and portrayed as a happily ever after when it when you guys know it's much more complicated than that absolutely yeah, so. <laughs> so growing up um 
did you ask then if you were adopted and they just always brushed it off or like how did that go because obviously you knew something was a little different yeah so i i never expressly asked am i adopted but i did ask like why do i look different why was i born in colombia because my birth certificate said born in colombia you know but it was with their their name oh my sure God. sure oh my gosh so I was like, that's that weird. That's so gutsy of them. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. The fact that it's like that, I didn't even, I didn't even connect that at first, even though that's me like, yeah. so it like, whatever for me. Birth certificate because oh it's the Colombian government. Gosh. They have their names on it, their occupation, their date of birth, their, all the, their passport information, everything. It didn't even allude to another parent, which isn't a whole nother discussion we could have about changing birth certificates but so I had always like seen that growing up and then growing up I went to the public school system in the suburbs of New York so like I had interacted with a lot of other families but my family was always different because there weren't a lot of kids in my grade that had immigrant parents first of all like I was always a weird kid because of that people were like why are your parents weird why do they have accents I can't understand your dad so there was always differences and then when I looked around um, when I was much younger, I spent a lot of times outdoors. So I was really dark. I was way darker than I am now. And so I started getting picked on in like kindergarten, first grade. And I remember other kids saying like, oh, you can't play with us because you're black because I was so dark. And that's when I would start to come home and be like, hey, why is this happening? Why does this keep happening? And then as I got older, I worked at my dad's restaurant and people just assumed I was the help in the back that didn't speak English, that was uneducated, <gasps> and they would treat me like less than. And uh, as soon as oh. they found out, oh, your dad's the owner, he's the Italian chef and owner of this wonderful establishment. Oh, I didn't mean that at all. And so I would then again approach my parents, hey, this keeps wow. happening. And they would just say, you know what, don't, don't listen to them. What, what they think doesn't matter. It's what, you are a daughter, that's all that matters. And I grew up in a very conservative family where um, I wasn't really allowed to push back a lot. My parents said the sky was green, the sky is green. <laughs> like, you're not allowed to argue with that. I would come home and like, kids would be like, oh yeah, cigarettes are bad. If I would say cigarettes are bad, they'd be like, no, you don't know what you're talking about and we'd get in trouble. Um, there was a lot of corporal punishment in traditional, like, you know, immigrant families where, like, in Latino culture, they had the chancla. In my family, they had the wooden spoon. So, mm. yeah. So, I grew up in an environment where I, I was loved, but there was a lot of intergenerational trauma because of those things um, that didn't leave room for many questions and answers until I was old enough to, you know, kind of stand in my place and demand answers. For sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So following learning of that, um, you said it took you a while to kind of uh, mend things with your adoptive mom. What was the time like in between there? Like when did you start learning about your adoption story? Yeah. So I think immediately after finding out, I learned the basics of what they were told and the adoption agency fauna told them basically that my my birth mother was too young and she couldn't care for me and there was literally two sentences in my paperwork that I eventually got my hands on uh, within that year and it only said like she had another child and my birth father wasn't in the picture and she didn't have anybody to help her and that's all I knew for many years and I tried to get more information, but, like, my parents literally didn't have anything else. 
Um, and yeah. I didn't find anything until I connected with two birth sisters that were placed before me and they had a little more information. And um, oh, wow. yeah, so I, I found them in 2019, I believe. Um, Sarah, Jessica, we have since reunited, which is amazing. But oh, um, amazing. yeah, without us all taking that test, I don't think we would have reconnected for who knows how long, um, if we ever would have. Um, and I was able to find out a little bit more about how our birth mother was um kicked out of her home at a very young age she was like 11 12 and then moved around from family member to family member house in Colombia, and she was abused and out on her own uh officially around like 15 16 and by then um she was doing the best that she could and ended up pregnant several times over with me and so it was three of us that were placed and she didn't have any resources or help to to kind of get back on her feet on her feet and it was like this endless cycle that just kept repeating itself because there are little to no social supports there for these types. Right. That's so common. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So there's, wow. <laughs> there's like three of you guys. They, oh my gosh, the relationship and uh, calendar math right now is like, whoa. Um, so, okay. So all three of you have been placed for adoption are the and you said that you found that through like a DNA test. Yeah, we all did 23andMe. I did mine. I think it was like four years after finding out I was adopted. And then for many years, it was just like the closer, closest relative I was connected to was like a fourth cousin. And so right. I, I kind of gave up hope. And until like I got a random notification email from 23andMe oh um, on my way to therapy. I was just killing some time before my well, appointment. Yeah, so I was like, this right now. Thank God. Um, so that's how I found out. I just got an email and it was like, oh, you have a new DNA match, a half sister. And I was like, excuse me, what? And I posted about that oh video my on my Instagram. It's just like me sobbing because like I couldn't. 23 me has no chill. Yeah, oh exactly. my God. And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> There should be a better way oh to notify God. people other than just like ding ding in your inbox. Right? Like, <laughs> you know, like kind of one of those things where you click next and then it's like, are you sure? Are you sitting down? Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> okay, shout out to 23andMe. Please listen to us. Like, we know. <laughs> oh my gosh, that must have been crazy. So that was the one that you found then and then. How was there the connection that with the third of you guys? Yeah, so um, my sister Sarah and I originally connected, and she's the middle sister, so she, she's like a few years older than me. And then uh, she had grown up with my older sister, the eldest sister of us all, Jessica, for uh, since they were babies. They had were adopted around the same time, and they knew that they oh, were wow. siblings. But they didn't know about us. Their family was told that they wouldn't be allowed to adopt any more children because they already had, like, I'm probably getting this number wrong, five or six siblings in, that their parents had adopted already. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the orphanage in Columbia told them, like, uh, you guys are great, but if she has any more kids, we can't, we can't in good conscience give you another child. You already have so many. Um, so they were they weren't notified of me, and for some reason, I hope to get answers for this when I visit <laughs> in uh, around April. But uh, for some reason, my birth mother didn't go to that same orphanage too. She went to Fauna with oh. me, so that was also a different like uh, another thing that I think made it even more difficult for us to find each other. But we found out, and we were able to kind of piece together a little information together 
um, that they were adopted first. Um, there was an older brother that our birth mom kept because that was her first child and she was able to kind of manage that. But when she got pregnant mm-hmm. again, she tried to raise our oldest sister, but after a year, she they were too poor to, to manage keeping oh. both children healthy. So she was like, I have to do what's best for them. Like, I don't want to be selfish. And um, so Jessica and Sarah were placed and then we reconnected all these years uh, ago. And then at the time we were all kind of still going through a lot of the grief involved with adoption. So for the first year we, we emailed back and forth, but it, we were still kind of coping with everything. And it wasn't till about a year ago that we really kind of cemented our bond. We all are in a much better place and we were able to work on that connection. And because, you know, like we grew up, had three different experiences, we were all adopted, but no adoptees experiences the exact same. So there's a lot of emotions involved and people just depict reunion as another happily ever after that's shown on the news, depicted as this beautiful thing. And so I thought, hey, we're going to find each other. Everything's going to be great. We're going to love each other and it's going to be wonderful. But there was still a lot of tears and emotions involved because we are three different people that are essentially strangers. We hadn't met for two decades, over two decades. And it took a lot for us to to figure out that dynamic. And now I'm so glad that we we took that time to work on ourselves and we're able to nurture it. And now like it feels like an authentic relationship that we didn't push. But at, at the beginning, like I wish more people talked about how it's okay if you need more time than just a weekend and a few text messages to feel like siblings. It doesn't just happen overnight. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so have you located your birth mom then? Yes. yes. Um, it was two years ago. I actually found her um, through a private investigator um, that I was connected to on my adoptee group on Facebook. Um, I had seen their track record, and um, my dad had been diagnosed with terminal cancer um, about two months prior, and so uh, he actually has been, like, really supportive ever since I found my sisters, and would tell me, you know, like, you should search for your birth family, you should search for more, you need a visit, because for him, family was more important than everything. So um, with his blessing, I was like, you know what, maybe it is, maybe it is. I'm seeing how short life can be. We were in the middle of the pandemic. My dad was facing a terminal cancer diagnosis with this rare blood cancer, and it felt like life was too short to wait. So I, I looked into hiring a private investigator. I reached out to them in March. It was my birthday month. And I just messaged saying, hey, I'm interested in searching. This is the information I have. What's the process like? Uh, unfortunately, the, the search, they call themselves the search angels. They, they are two birth moms, I believe, that are working on reuniting Colombian adoptees with their families. And so they do it for a very low fee. I think I paid like maybe $150. It was ridiculous. And they only needed a deposit and then the rest once they confirmed that the birth parent was who they said they were. And so they reached out. They were able to find her because of a cedula, which was on my original birth certificate. Yep. And they found her within like three days. And this was astonishing to me because I always heard like closed adoptions, international adoptions, they're going to be like a one million, one in one million odds of finding your birth parents, especially that quickly. I expected maybe a year, maybe a few years if I was lucky. Not. I felt the same way. Yeah. Yeah. 
it was quick yeah so three days I was just like blown out of the water and um I was told like almost immediately that she wasn't ready to to talk to me and then a few days later she changed her mind (laughs) and at that point I already had experience with like reunion with my sister so I was like it's okay if she does if she's not ready if she's not ready that's fine but I really need to know some medical information. I've always dealt with some medical issues growing up and having children of my own, that was a priority. So I was like, the least she can do is let us know if she has anything. So we found out like basic medical information that did help out. And then um, I kind of just left it from there. I was dealing with my dad's cancer diagnosis and I wasn't really in the, <laughs> the best place to be in another new relationship. And so um, I, I didn't reach back out for another few months until the investigators actually reached back out to me. And man, they gave me a guilt trip and a half. <laughs> and I'm saying this with all the love in my heart. They didn't do this like to be rude, but they, thinking from like the birth parent perspective, they're like, you found her, you know, you can hire like a translator and like, you know, build that relationship. You can't just leave her hanging. And I was like, look, I understand. And so like every few months now I check in and like, I try to do it more often, but it's really hard with the language barrier. My Spanish is not great. Yeah. I, <laughs> I learned Italian growing up so I can understand a decent amount of Spanish, but speaking it back. And then I feel like there's also like a, a grief barrier where every time I try to speak Spanish, it feels like I'm an alien in my own skin and that I'm failing if mm-hmm. I don't do it perfectly. And yeah. I don't want to embarrass myself. So every time I tried to talk to her in Spanish, like I hung up the phone once because I, I answered it and the translator wasn't on. I was like, I can't do this by myself. <laughs> and I just hung up because oh. it, it was just like so much anxiety. And then there's a lot of emotions involved. And like to this day, she, I can hear the grief in her, 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 her words and like she'll be sobbing at times and it's just absolutely devastating and I feel like there's nothing I can do so ever since then me and my sisters we've been trying really hard to save up enough money to go and visit and we finally have enough that we can actually buy our plane tickets so we plan to go in, around April and visit for the first time to go back to Colombia this would be the first time that we've been back since we were adopted oh my gosh wow (laughs) that's really exciting yeah that is super exciting not only like just visiting your hometown but like connect so have you connected with your sisters in person you said i did um i I can't go into too many details about it because it was in this like project that (laughs) reconnected us but i can say that we did meet in person it was for like two days but they were really special. And once I'm able to, I will definitely share more details, especially on my Instagram. So keep an eye on. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, and that's fair. I mean, all of this is super personal. So share what you feel comfortable doing and saying. But um, okay, so you got that small experience. So now meeting your birth mom going there. Oh, I just recommend definitely taking a lot of pictures, yeah. videos, documenting how you feel, because you're going to have too many emotions to even really process it at the time oh yeah yeah i i totally i can't imagine that happening so i appreciate that reminder i'm definitely gonna need it yeah (laughs) oh wow so you searching your dad gave you that blessing how is your mom feeling with all of that oh my mom didn't handle it really well when i found my sister so that was like one of the reasons Mm. why i held back like telling them and I understand she was always afraid that once we found out we were adopted that we, we would kind of discard them. 
but like I said, right. for me, it never was about that. Um, I, I feel like more love in a child's life than an adult's life, like what's wrong with that? So for me, I, I wanted to connect to my roots to find my culture and to, to learn more about my family since that has been a big part of me growing up. That's what my dad taught me. And so um, for her, she was definitely a little defensive and not as supportive as I would have hoped. But over the years, like the past few years, especially since my dad has passed, she has been, she has turned a new leaf. She has really stepped up and changed. And that's like one of the reasons why I advocate so much because I feel like parents can make mistakes. And as a parent now, like I know how easy it is to say and do one thing and then, you know, in the moment, do something and then the fear of like how do you how do you change that now moving forward once you know you right. made a big mistake and so that's another reason why I share my stories to show how much progress adoptive parents can do even after adopting even many years later even when your adult your children are adults it, it's never too late to go back and learn from your mistakes and apologize and so my mom was able to do that she was able to step up and really be authentic and say hey you know I did what I thought was best at the time but now knowing all this and especially since you shared your story and I've read your book and I read all these things that you do like I understand now why that is problematic and how that hurt you and I'm sorry and so she's really supportive now and she'll even ask like how are your sisters doing oh have you heard from your birth mom and just those small things make a world of a difference from what I had experienced. Oh, for sure. Well, I'm so glad you have that support now. I mean, I know you missed it for quite some time. And, and maybe you didn't even know what you were truly missing because you didn't even have the full yeah. <laughs> context of who you were at that point. But that's amazing that she has kind of learned that. And again, resources back then were so slim, if any. Yeah. So we can't put like all the blame, but there is still a lot of learning curve. So you talked about your book. Let's go into adoptee thoughts. You have this platform. You're huge on TikTok, Instagram. You have all of these things. You've been on talk shows. I mean, I could go on and on with all the things you've done. Um, kind of talk about it. What brought you to that? Obviously, probably your journey, but what made you fully start that? Yeah, so I think it first started back in college. Like a lot of the things I would do to kind of just like not think about how complicated my life had gotten would be like read BuzzFeed articles and essays online. And I was like, all these people can do that. Why can't I write about my story? So uh, that's what kind of got like that little nugget in my head. And then once I had my own children, a few years later, I started like blogging, mom blogging, just to kind of get through postpartum depression. And I started like practicing writing more and more. And I finally took the plunge one day, I wrote an essay which turned out to be the viral HuffPo essay that kind of launched my career in this field. Mm -hmm. And I basically was just writing about how I found out I was adopted at 19 and how it's important for parents to, to share that and how it affected me, not knowing my race and ethnicity growing up and then finding out later on and how isolating and how damaging that was to my mental health. And I really didn't expect it. Everyone says this, and I know it's annoying, but honestly, I really, I really didn't expect it to, to go viral. Like, it got shared in, like, a bazillion different countries. Like, I was getting messages from, like, France and, and Singapore and, like, all these countries and all this stuff. And I was like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> and so um, 
that's kind of when I uh, I was first introduced to how my writing could help people because at the same time it was getting all these views but was what was really impactful is I was getting emails from adoptees and from children that are biracial or multiracial that are grew up in primarily white families and I had so many people so many people reach out to me and be like thank you for sharing your story I experienced Mm. similar things in my family even though I knew I was x y and z even though I knew I was biracial even though I knew I was adopted from uh China wherever it was and they were like my parents had prejudices I grew up with a great uncle who had would say racist remarks about my eyes about my skin color people would tell me to stay out of the sun horrible things that would come from their own family members and then on the other end I was getting really nasty emails from adoptive parents and people that believed in the happily ever after story of adoption that I essentially was ruining for them and so that kind of made me laugh because like at one point I got like I, I swear it was like a a 10,000 word email from this man who was like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. My experience was different. I love my adoptive parents. I was like, okay, that's great. I'm glad you had a great adoptive experience, but that doesn't erase everybody else who getting. So long story short, wow. that's when I was like, you know what? More people need to talk about this. And so I started looking into the resources when it comes to like adoption. And I saw Nine times out of 10, resources are either written by adoptive parents, adoption professionals, lawyers, whatever, white white people who have no ties to adoption just want to talk about it, or CEOs of agencies making millions of dollars off of for-profit adoption. And I was like, this, this is why when my mom adopted, there were like little to no resources available that actually talked about adoption in the full picture, not just the happily ever after, one that talks about the real facts, the real history of transracial adoption, international adoption. And you know what? It's not out there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I decided to like just tweet about it. Um, at that point, the only writing I had written for a few mom blogs and I started, I did a baby book of like sleep tips. It was just like a little side project. Wasn't a big thing. And then I tweeted about this idea for like a book for adoptive parents to, to educate them. And a publisher reached out to me and they had read my essay and they were like, you know what, why don't you write a proposal and we'll see how it goes. And I had already sold a book on proposal before. And so I was like, you know what, let me try and I ended up signing on with them. And that's how we ended up with what white parents should know about transracial adoption, which funny tidbit, <laughs> I really had no chill when I was drafting the proposal. And I told, I told the publisher, uh, this originally the title was the white savior mentality. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> and I know I really loved that title, but they were afraid it was going to scare adoptive parents, which fair because yeah even uh, this title yeah. now people still get offended because i say white adoptive parents which which is a whole thing but anyway so that book i worked on um and it came out last last october and it ended up being received really well i got star reviews on it i got review uh, blurbs from gabrielle glazer the new york times bestselling author she wrote american baby and a bunch of other people working with a publisher since I was traditionally published, they they had a publicist that was able to reach out to a few of their contacts. And I ended up being asked to go on a few different uh, shows and we were in the height of p- the pandemic. So there wasn't 
in-person like readings and stuff like that. So all the publicity I had to do was online, which on one hand it was fortunate, but on the other hand, it, it was weird to see my face on TV through another screen. And my mom ended up, she wrote the forward of my book and she was invited on Tamron Hall with me, which was a really cool experience, especially since she loves Tamron Hall. So she was like, this is amazing. Um, we did a few interviews together and then I did a bunch of other things and I've been writing essays ever since. Um, right now I, I have my podcast, Adoptee Thoughts, my next book, which is a follow-up to What White Parents is the workbook accompaniment, which kind of takes everything to the next level. So there's more hands-on activities and resources. And I'm working with Marcella Maslow. She's a licensed social worker who has a lot of experience working in the field of adoption. So she has added a bunch of like therapeutic um, insights to the book. And I have contributors that are uh, uh, adoptees as well that I'm really excited to, to share with people. And it's coming out this summer. And yeah, so one thing led to another and now here we are <laughs> that is insane and like i said right when i was you know giving you this question massive advocate for the adoptive community i mean you put in the hard work that's not only hard work of just like getting a book out all of those things but like mentally going through that having to really open up about that and i bet it was a little healing for you too going through that and just kind of expressing your thoughts and words but we know how tough that is just to really be vulnerable, especially with people you don't even know. I can't even, I mean, we're not that big, but like, yeah. it's already hard for us just <laughs> putting that out there. So kudos to you. Cause that is tough, but you are That's putting incredible. the work and it's super, super helpful. Yes. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And like, just for anyone listening, I always like to reiterate that you don't have to, to take the plunge and do something like this huge to make a difference. Um, like even, some days I feel like it's too much. Some days I don't think I'm doing enough. Um, and it's like this huge journey. And especially now, since everything is so social media oriented, I feel like anyone, especially adoptees and former foster youth who want to do a similar career path, really need to like also make sure they're taking care of their mental health because some people can get really nasty. And even like, it was just, yeah. I think it was last week or the week before, HuffPo randomly decided to share that essay on Instagram again. So I started getting like a bunch of messages out of nowhere. And if you're not prepared Ooh, for that, yeah. like it's one thing writing an essay and be like, oh, it's gonna come out then. I know what to expect. And then you're just like scrolling pictures of puppies and then you're getting messages after messages. It can be a lot. So it's really important to take care of your mental health and make sure you're, you have a really close support network because that's a lot to deal with. Yeah, I, I think also with that kind of thing, we talk a little bit about and like I have a lot of friends that have, you know, mixed families and like different types of families that really connect with a lot that we have to say too. So tying all of that in, like there are so many people that can relate to that and I'm sure... Um, that has so much to do with, you know, the things that you've been able to get out into everything. And I also just want to make sure that, you know, I touch on this before, you know, we get too far past it, but like what you're doing is incredible. Like I cannot imagine the time from when you found this out to now to everything. Like I am mind blown right now. And like, I am not even surprised. Like you're such a like your energy is incredible and you're just such a fun charismatic person that like I'm not surprised that everybody connects with you so well and adoptee to adoptee so proud of you that's amazing thank you thank you that means a lot and I 
one of the reasons why I love like chatting with other adoptees because it reminds me um, since I work from home, like it's, it can be very isolated. So doing interviews like this or just chat, yeah, chatting with other adoptees and like being part of like these spaces and, and like doing meetups and making friendships. It, it's really powerful how it can change our lives. And, you know, we can be those people that we wanted growing up that to, to help us and be there for us. Yes. I think that that's really important too, given like, you know, with the resources being different than when we grew up this, like, I think had we grown up now, like if I would have been a teenager now and had Instagram and had access to this stuff, like, you know, be the person that you needed when you were a kid. And that's the kind of thing that I think connects all of us. And, um, I was just kind of, I was on a, another show the other night and it was like, uh, talking about kind of things with our podcast. And like, I was just thinking about it the other day in preparation and how much our points of view have changed since the beginning of us starting Colombian influence, because we hear so many different perspectives. We Mm -hmm. hear perspectives that we've never even heard before. Like so many of those things that have helped us like develop as the adult adoptee, you know, because it's not just the child to look after now. It's like, we talk about this all the time when we haven't touched on it in a bit, but it's like the child adoptee grows into an adult adoptee that does not get removed from their identity. Although it's not their full identity, it's still something that like stays constant and that still needs to be healed and nurtured and all of those types of things. Yeah. And I think that's an excellent point. And especially since like I found out later in life, it's like I went through all those different things that adoptees go through when they were younger, thinking about like, oh, well, why did was I abandoned? Why was I placed? Oh, no one loved me. All these things, all these negative thoughts that we get in our heads. And I had to deal with that as an adult, like all at once. So I think that really made me (laughs) need to analyze everything that was happening and why. And, like, um, I think it was Maria from uh, the, like, Latina adoptee group on Facebook. She posted a question. It was, like, how, what do you do to, like, support yourself and, like, teach yourself to, like, keep going, keep yourself motivated? And I'm, like, well, telling my story has helped me reclaim all of that. And instead of just thinking about how hard it was or how difficult it was. Like, yes, it was that, but it also gave me an opportunity to grow and change and help others. Well, that and the fact that you aren't just grasping on for dear life onto the fact that you're mad about it. Like, man, would I have a hard time getting, not even quote unquote, getting over it, you know, because that's (laughs) not it. But like, kudos to you. Like, (laughs) That must have been really hard to do. Like there would have been a lot of resentment there, but the fact that within a couple of years you were able to mend things with your mom and like seriously just make the most of all this. I mean, I'm it wasn't seriously easy. just um, mind there was blown. Definitely a lot of therapy, a lot of you know <laughs> help in that department. Um, but I, I think one of the beneficial things about my relationship with my parents is that we never really shied away from an argument. So I think that helped when I was processing all of this because I would go over, especially even even when my dad had cancer, I would go over to the house. We would sit down and have breakfast together at the kitchen table. We had so many discussions there. I'd be like, so let's talk about this because I was like, if we don't talk about it, nothing's going to change and we're going to have so much resentment. And I didn't want to just 
put a band-aid over our relationship and say like, you know, this is as good as going to get. I guess I'll keep you in my lives and just tiptoe for the rest of my life. I wanted to address these problems and heal for them because not only do I want to protect myself and make sure that I'm not being taken advantage of, but I also have two children to think of. And my two boys are Latino. My, my husband's half Colombian. So they're three quarters Colombian. So they have multiracial grandchildren. And I was oh. about to let my kids experience any type of racism from the family at all. So we had a lot of stuff to work through. So I basically gave them an ultimatum. I was like, we work on this. We get over it. We move past this together. And you guys learn to change. Otherwise, you're not going to be around them. And I did that because, like, even though, like, my parents said, well, you know, they grew up with, like, a colorblind philosophy. I know how saying that deeply affects a child. And I didn't want my kids to ever have to deal with that. So I'd rather them not have people in their lives. And I've cut off ties with a lot of my dad's family. I don't talk to them anymore because they are unwilling to change. But you know what? At the end of the day, my boys are safe and they are loved and they are going to grow up loving who they are and the color of their skin and um, connecting to their culture. I love that so much. And that kind of brings up a question. Um, So with your adoption, your journey, are you open with that with your children? Do they know kind of your whole process, kind of how you grew up? Was that hard? I mean, there's so many questions with that um, kind of based off of your adoption too. Like I bet it was hard being pregnant, knowing like, wow, this is what my, my birth mom went through and then having your child and then, you know, seeing those little milestones throughout, I mean, big milestones too, throughout their whole lives that your birth mom missed out on. How does that like correlate? I have a six-year-old and a five-year-old. So very close in age and they are uh, a lot. They are so cute and adorable. And I think it's been really healing and it's kind of forced me to do even more healing um, because I, I want to be the best mother that I can be for them. And I know the impact of intergenerational yes. trauma and I have had to work through a lot of things. So I don't continue that cycle and so I'm very open with them and at this age they can only understand you know so much like <laughs> they're first frustrated kindergarten so we're not going into like lengthy discussions but we are starting to have these discussions ever since they were little like the words adoption they know I have two mothers I have my mom their nana and then I have my birth mother that lives in Colombia that we're planning on visiting. And for them, like just bringing up these discussions and having conversations, showing them pictures, they're like, oh, yeah, your other mom. No, not that one. The Nana, that one. Like for them, it's that simple. It's like it, it normalizes the conversation. And this is what every child should get, age-appropriate information. And right now, they don't need to know the ins and outs. They just need to know, like, this is our family structure. This is how adoption has impacted us just at these small little points. And as they get older, we'll discuss more. But right now I'm working on teaching them to be proud of their culture, that they're not just American, they're Colombian. You know, like um, my mother-in-law, she's from Colombia. She grew up there most of her life. So she speaks Spanish fluently. So I'm like, that's why uh, grandma speaks Spanish. She's Colombian, daddy's half Colombian. These things, uh, you know, the movie Encanto, yeah. that was like, <laughs> go to go to in our house. And they understand that like, oh, Encanto, that's from Colombia. I want to visit there. I want to go there. I love Mirabel. I love singing these songs. And just having like these little things that they get to enjoy from their culture. They get to wear jerseys, Colombian jerseys that they, my sister-in-law, my mother-in-law bring back all the time from Colombia. We have these little piggy banks 
that are made out of like all clay and they're right from there and like the kids have to crack it open if they want the money after that they're done filling them up so it's like little things like that where they get to see this in their home and I also my mother-in-law owns uh like a art uh art gallery there so she recently gave us these humongous paintings for their their room that was created by Colombian artists. So they are getting like culture from every avenue possible. And it doesn't take like expensive like tours of like the countries. It doesn't take, uh, you know, like learning Spanish perfectly. You just, you need to keep present and do the best that you can to incorporate all these angles. And I, what I like adoptive parents to know is like, it's okay to make mistakes. You're going to be uncomfortable, especially going into these spaces, like festivals, Columbia festivals in New York City and stuff like that. Like you're not gonna fit in and like you might be the odd man out, but think about your child at Christmas the faces that are staring back at them, where are they getting that representation? It's your responsibility to do that. So I kind of have to be like the adoptive parent and teach myself because I wasn't taught these things growing up. So as I'm writing about that and learning, I'm like, how do I do that? And so one of my favorite books that I uh, always suggest is like Raising Multiracial Children. It's by Farzana Nayani. And she's amazing. She talks about like multiracial family structures and like the importance of identity and like different things that you can do. And I think it's beneficial for every type of family who has like multiracial or biracial family members, because it really opens your eyes to like the different things that you can do to help. I love how you brought that together because, um, well, I'm Colombian, my fiance is Jamaican. And like, I think Obviously, I lacked that culture experience. He has a little bit, but he's only gone back like twice. Once, you know, he came when he was seven. So like, those are things that are going to be good to incorporate, even though like, I maybe lacked a little bit of that. It's never too Mm -hmm. late. And I love that you kind of just brought that back and maybe can relive that a little bit through your children too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like healing your inner child. Yes, yeah. I do that with my kids. And I think that's I love that. I love that so much. Yes. And so you, your boyfriend at the time of finding out now husband, how has he been able to support you? Or like, what's good advice that you needed during all of this that other maybe significant others can help adoptees or just families, um, friends, whoever with that support? Yeah, I think the best thing that he did was kind of take it take my lead and he didn't push me to like talk to my parents and he didn't push me to to explore more he was just kind of there so when i would have questions about colombian culture because he's at colombian he would help me or he would say like you know well on college campus we have latinos unidos why don't we check it out but when i was uncomfortable he was there for me standing right beside me and he kind of had the opposite experience that I did because he's biracial but he took after his father's side so he has red hair and really pale skin so people so people would look at him and be like you're not Colombian like you have to be Irish or Scottish or whatever so he would get the opposite end so he understood the struggles of being thought of one thing and not having like his whole identity understood so I think that's why a lot of adoptees, transracial adoptees gravitate towards multiracial, biracial people because they have similar experiences like that. Yeah. Um, so I think that really, uh, like if you can't find a biracial <laughs> or multiracial person, <laughs> like, you know, like these are, they're, I think having a group that is very diverse really is helpful. But um, I think other than just like following my lead, like he was just very open to, to accepting and validating my feelings. Like he, 
would listen to me rant and be angry and like he would hold me when I cried because it was a lot of grief to go through and like just honestly he was a good person who understood that it was a crazy time that really affected my mental health and there were time periods like that first two years that I struggled really really hard in college and um, I don't think if I had the support that I did then that I would be as um, optimistic as I am now Um, so basically it's just like you don't have to be the perfect person but you have to be understanding and just open to listening and validating others experiences because if you don't understand you don't understand but that doesn't mean you can't be there for somebody and try to listen and try to learn and let me tell you he learned the other day I was talking to him about like um there was this incident on TikTok in the adoption community. And he was like, well, you need to bring up how like uh, children in uh, BIPOC homes are taken out uh, at higher rates and this and that. And he was spouting off fact after fact. So it's just like, he listens. Like that's, that's what you have to do. Listen. (laughs) That's awesome. And I think that's a hard question too, because it's like something, obviously, you know, you don't really know what you're getting into when you meet the love of your life or you know significant person or important who a person who's super important to you but that listening aspect is huge and just navigating that together that's amazing that you have that support and you've mentioned it more than once is why I wanted to ask and that's it's great because I think everyone needs that support in their life to get through a lot of things especially if you don't have that directly with your parents Mm -hmm. which a lot of people don't so that's awesome was it just coincidence that he was also Colombian I'm that's all I'm thinking about (laughs) Yeah, I think it was fate, partly, because we had met during college, during our a freshman orientation, and he was wearing, I, I remember this day, because it, he was this five, almost 5'11 five ginger wearing this Irish shirt one day, and then the next day he was wearing a Colombian shirt, and we would go around doing those like, oh, introduce yourself, state of fact, and he said, I'm Colombian, and I looked at this kid, and I was just like, no. No, I think you're wrong. I, I like I didn't say that, but I thought it in my head, and I thought it was so weird that he was pale because I grew up so isolated, and I wasn't used to like people who were biracial and grew up in these mixed families. And so I remember going home. And I was like, "You'll never guess who I met. I met this kid that looked like that." And then, sure enough, we started college at the same time, and we kept seeing each other, and we just ended up being really close friends. And then we hit it off from there. And his parents later on told me that they met my father and mother on the little introductory parents meeting. So they met each other even before we were dating. And so their mother looked at me and was like, that girl is not Italian. (laughs) But of course, again, no one tells me. So I had to find out the hard way. And I, I, it was just funny growing up and then because like a lot of Italians, especially if you're from like certain regions of Italy, you have the dark olive skin, you have the dark hair. So they were able to pass me off during like when I was lighter and I looked enough like them. And then my brother who was adopted too from Colombia, he was a little darker, a little more different, but he looked enough like me that he was able to keep everything going. And so like, it, it was just like crazy fate how this worked out and you know it worked out for the best I guess so also I just love the fact that first of all we talked about Encanto and then like because that for both of us Erica and I saw it together and it was like the skin tones the hair colors all yes. of it was just like oh I don't even know like being told time and time again growing up like you know I'm Colombian and now I'm like don't <laughs> 
I've, I've been told that I was told that recently when I was just like out with a friend and this guy was like, you don't look Colombian. I was like, tell me what a Colombians look like. When have you been to Colombia? And I just went off and I was like, tell me, huh? Like, what do you know? You don't know anything. And I'm like, have you seen Encanto? Probably not. <laughs> culture. You don't know anything. <laughs> so I love that oh you God. and your husband like have such hilarious variety and just like, it's all so proven right there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it definitely is funny. And like, I was kind of hoping that my kids would pop out with red hair, but they have red highlights. So I'm like, oh, there you go. And, and my eldest has his hazel eyes, but it, I'm like, also, part of me is like, they look like me. And like, for right away, you can see that, like, me and my kids, they really look like me. And even at times, people, he'll go out with the kids and be like, oh, you're watching your girlfriend's kids or something. And he's like, no, these are my kids. Because people just assume. And like, isn't that what we talk about? Stop assuming, start asking questions and just listen. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't even know. I, this has been like, you know, we have such a specific template for our interviews and this hasn't followed any of it. Um, <laughs> I love, I'm sorry I mean, about that. <laughs> no, it's great. I love when that happens. So um, I guess aside from what Erica asked, like, I don't know that there's really anything aside from, we like to ask everyone, what is something you wish people would realize about adoption? And that can come from anywhere. It's just maybe like, the one thing that if you had to give just one quote of what you wish people would realize from whatever background, what would that be? Yeah, I think like the one thing I would say is that you, people should remember that it doesn't have to be either or in adoption. A lot of adoption can be and. So you can love your adoptive parents and you can be you can be grieving your adoption and how you were placed in an orphanage or in foster care, whatever, you can be upset about that. And you can still be grateful to be in your adoptive family. Like you don't have to, it, we aren't kids anymore. Things aren't black and white. We are all the shades of gray here and it doesn't have to be either or. So like, I think anybody, adoptive parents, professionals, adoptees, foster youth can benefit from knowing that and believing that because it, it, you see it. <laughs> wow. That was, gorgeous and profound I, straight to the point that was, that was so well that was good that was good perfect <laughs> I, that's getting all we even need for the episode just that quote. Like, all right we're being really efficient today this is all you need wow that was awesome oh my gosh wow i love your story i love you i just i'm gonna order your book like right now because i just like i need more of you and i need more of your energy so Oh my gosh. I cannot. Thank you so much for being on with us today. This has been amazing. Also, Erica, do you have any other things we should? No, after that question, mic drop, like that was good. That was good. We're done. (laughs) We're done here. Wow. Is there anything, any, I don't know, anything else you would like to add to give to our audience or anything Uh, else? I think final thoughts would just be thank you guys for, for thinking of me. And I finally, we were able to do this like we've all had a lot going on so this is a yes. long time coming like you said um otherwise you guys can follow me on my instagram adoptee thoughts if you just go to my website adoptee it links all my podcasts essays all that good stuff and i have workshops coming up i don't know when this is going to be published but if the workshops are already over there's more going to be coming in the new year so just keep your eyes peeled on the on the page and yeah 
I'd love to be back one day. <laughs> yes. Once you go back to Columbia, we're going to have you back on next year. We need to hear all the updates, your experience. Also, just chat again. This was amazing. Yeah, sounds great. She's such an inspiring person. I, and I kind of like told her during that it was just mind blowing how her timeline affected all of this. Like that, that's insane. I love her. She's great. I mean, there's no doubt that she's made it to where she is because of how amazing she is. And like I said, she's just so charismatic and fun and her energy is incredible and She's just such an inspiring person. So I'm just so glad that we got to have her on our show. And it's been a long time coming, like we mentioned. And so it was so great to finally connect with her. So um, we're just so grateful that we could have her on our show today. So obviously keep uh, following her at Adoptee Thoughts and check out her website. Otherwise, you know where to find us as usual. Make sure to share us with other adoptees as well, other Colombians we're always excited to connect with other adoptees and have these kinds of conversations. So if there is a story that you think should be featured on our podcast, Colombian or not, um, any type of person from the triad, please, please get them in touch with us. Well said. That's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, send us any emails to Colombian.influence at gmail.com. Follow us at Colombian Influence on all the platforms. Um, Otherwise, we'll be back for more soon. Until next time. Later. Bye.